0: Good morning. How are you doing on this morning? I am excited to be here. I'm Joseph, one of the pastors here at Wells Branch, and we're having church at home, y'all, which is an amazing thing to know that God's relevance isn't limited to just this building, the actual church building, but we can have church wherever we go. And so I'm excited about that because during this time of panic and chaos, that God's relevance for peace and comfort are still here. And so, as we move forward, uh, we're in this series called Freedom, where we're walking through the Book of Galatians, where we we've, we've watched Paul explain that Jesus came, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he's coming back again, and how our identity is in that. The gospel relevance of that is forever. Like God is still real, even during this time of this pandemic that's going on. God is still real and relevant, and the joy of the Lord is upon us, even with all of this chaos going on around us. And I'm excited about that, knowing that we can have church in our cars, we can have church in our homes, we can have church on our job, we can have church wherever we go because of technology and what God has creatively put in so many different people. And so if, you, if this is your first time with us or this is your eighth time with us, we're in our eighth week of this series where uh, Paul's just been kind of the first part of it. The first two chapters, we see Paul uh, defending his apostleship, his authority to even preach the gospel, his relevance. Uh, and then from there, he goes on to explain in the next few, next couple of chapters, explain uh, what it means to be justified by Christ, what it means to be justified through what Christ did on the cross. Remember, he came, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he's coming back again. What that means, he explains it to us. And so what we're going to do, we're going to finish up that explanation piece with a uh, story from Paul back in Abraham ta- Abraham's day. And then from there, he's going to give us some applicational pieces to, to how do we walk out this gospel um, story. And so... Uh, through this time and through all that has been going on, one of the things that I've been praying, I've been fasting, I'm like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And one of the things that I've struggled with, kind of, and uh, it's just all the different uh, memes and videos and things people are posting because it's like, man, do I, am I able to laugh through all this? Like, like as an ex-teacher like this is like exciting to watch all the teacher memes going across my feed where they're talking about now parents get to homeschool and and how how parents are, are losing their jobs as teachers the first day to alcohol and just all these crazy memes are coming out I'm like can I laugh God is it okay to laugh and I think it is okay to laugh laughter is a good thing uh this creative piece is a good thing and so I wanted to share with y'all like what I used to do in my creative processing as I was a kid and I remember back when I lived in East Austin and uh, there was a time where, you know, summers get hot here in Texas and there was this thing called the slip and slide. Uh, you may know this slip and slide. Uh, the commercial went, you run, you slide, you hit the bump and take a dive, right? Some of you remember this. Uh, I didn't have one of those. We didn't have one of those. You know, it was three boys and hot summers. So my mom said, hey, use these floaties, you know, the floaties you lay on in the swimming pool. You can lay your whole body on them, rectangular pieces. Uh, she said, use these, blow them up, spray some water on them, and you'll be good. And so we're in the grass, and we're having fun. we got about three floaties connected. We're running. We're sliding. We're hitting about three bumps along the way, and it's fun. So my mom goes inside, and uh, in my creative thinking, I asked myself, I said, how can I get more speed? And the thing I thought was, hey, if you remove this grass grassiness of what's going on, you know, we put it on some asphalt it, it'll, it'll be better. You have more friction. You'll move faster. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. And so what I do is I'm by myself. Everybody's gone inside. I go to the driveway, and I put these floaties uh, actually on the driveway, and I let a little bit of the air out. And I thought, well, I can't slide on these floaties anymore because if I do, I hit the ground. I might hurt myself. <laughs> uh, and so what I find myself doing is I stand up, and I'm sliding across these floaties. So I run, and I slide, and I run. And I'm sliding again, and I'm sliding across. I was like, this was a great idea. Uh, And so I remember, I said, well, last time mom called me in the house, and so she doesn't know I'm out in the front. And I run and I slide with everything that is in me, like all my force and and strength. And I slide, and I'm standing, and I'm sliding, y'all. It looked good. And all of a sudden, I feel my feet slip up under me. Who would have thought that would have happened? And all I see is sky. And the next thing I remember for a couple seconds, I think I might've blacked out. Uh, there's blood kind of everywhere shooting out the back of my head. I still have a scar from when I got stitches. I'm running in the house screaming and mom's yelling at me like, what's happened to you? I'm, like, I'm talking, I can't even communicate. And we ended up going to hospital. But what, what happened was the grassy area and what was good, I said, you know what? I could find something better. And I found a way to replace what worked was something I thought was better and would be more efficient in my way and in my thinking, I can go faster, I can, I can have more fun, I'm, I'm more enticed, and this feels better to me. And so we do that, though, because some of y'all, while I was telling the story, as soon as you heard me moving uh, my station to the asphalt, you, you, be, you begin to say, that boy is dumb. <laughs> what is wrong with him? But we do that, too, in our lives. We replace something that is good, God, who's great, who's awesome with other things, with other entities, with with money and jobs and people and and food and alcohol. And like we replace God who is perfect, who is good, who is working, who knows what we have with something else. And so today what I want to do uh, is kind of move forward in this Galatians where we'll be picking up in chapter four. But I, I got a couple of things for us that we tend to do. First, we resist our freedom in Christ because uh, our identity has been replaced. See, what can happen is with our identity, if it, we have to have an identity in something. And what we do, we replace our identity with Christ and God with something else. Why? Because, uh, God, I love you. I understand Jesus Christ died on the cross, but right now you're not working for me. Think about it. We do this and it's, it's, it's all around us. And so it feels natural to do. Cell phones update every year. As soon as a new cell phone drops in October, October 1st, it drops October 2nd. They're talking about the next one. Like it's around us to do what's better. We want things right now where we're confined to our homes and we're we're binging on TV and we want every season right now. We don't want commercials in our life. We want it right now when we run it. But another way we do this. Uh, where we lose and resist our freedom and what Christ did on the cross is our identity has been displaced. This word displaced you'll see, if you was to Google it, is you find many different areas. But displaced mostly, uh, when I hear that, I think about the displacement maybe of the African slave trade and how people were removed from their country and placed into another or the Native Americans. Uh, This displacement happens during chaotic times, during war times where the enemy comes in and does some shuffling and moving and destroying of something, and you're displaced from your home. You're displaced from uh, your known environment. And the enemy is looking to do that in our lives, people of God. He's looking to displace us from God's presence. And how does he do that? He finds outside sources. He finds social media. He finds TV and news and panic and chaos and people talking in your ear. The enemy is looking to displace you and sift you and pull you out of God's presence, and he wants more. And, and, and lastly, this, this last way that we're going to talk about through this text is we resist our freedom in Christ because our identity has been misplaced. With so much stuff going on, with the panic, the, the frustrations, the uh, losing of jobs, the not being able to go to work, to being at home with our kids, lines at the grocery store, and even when you go in, there's no food. and All this goes on. We become misplaced. We become lost. Uh, we we lose our we lose sight of what God is doing, and uh, we lose sight of the promise of God and what He told us that He will take care of us and that He will be with us and He will never. We lose sight of all that. All we see is fog. We no longer see the promise. Not only don't we we don't we don't see the path, But we don't see the promise, and we become lost and misplaced. And so, what I want us to understand, what I want us to move to, is that God has a plan. He has a promise that you can't replace this plan, you can't be displaced by the enemy, and you can't allow yourself to be misplaced with all that's going on. And so as we move forward, will you pray with me that God begins to move and turn some things around in our lives on this morning. God, we love you. God, we thank you. God, you are awesome. There is none like you. God, you are still relevant today, and we thank you for that. God, I pray that the word goes forth and you begin to move in the homes and the cars and all the different places where people are. And that, they, that we can see the picture that you've painted for us, God. And that while we may not understand what you're doing, God, we trust you. We won't go around you, God. I pray that you, uh, you reach down, allow, turn our spiritual ears on, God. Remove all distractions, God, and let us focus on you. Chime into you on this morning. God, we love you, and God, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. All right, so if you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Chapter 21, Galatians chapter four, chapter 21. We want to read a few of these verses. And if you even if you can right now, I know you're in the comforts of your homes and your seat. Stand up. Stand up for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read a few verses and then you'll be able to sit down and relax the rest of the time. But stand up with me. Uh, Chapter four, verse 21. Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? Paul is about to use the very law that they're using to justify themselves to against them. Watch and listen, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is, one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is, is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud. You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. You may take your seats. May God add a blessing to the readers, hearers, and doers of his holy uh, and uncompromising word. Y'all, I'm, one of the reasons I'm excited, like a month ago, I was thinking, ah, I preach in front of the church. And it's weird now that, no, within four weeks, all that has changed. But God is still the same. And so when I think about this, a month ago, he brought up Abraham in Galatians chapter 2. And he's bringing him up again. But 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 we have, we're going to take a look back at the story just a little bit again. For those that don't know, Abraham was given a promise. He was given a promise that he would be the father of many nations, that kings would come from him. And Abraham's problem with that when he was talking to God was that, well, God, I hear you. I hear your promise, but we have a problem. I don't have any kids. And God said, I promise you something, and that th- your heir will come from your seat. And so, in doing so, what happened was Abraham said, Well, you know, him and his wife, his wife told him, Hey, I'm gonna give you my, my slave, go ahead and have a baby through her. God made you a promise. Let's go ahead and make this happen real quick. Because I'm too old to be trying to have kids. I don't, God can't do it anyway. And Abraham goes ahead and sleeps with Hagar. They have a baby named Ishmael. Ishmael is his son. And from him, nations will be born. The promise is there. But that wasn't God's promise. That's not what God told him to do. And what can happen oftentimes is we do this. We go around God's promise for us. We go around God's plan. God said, hey, be patient, wait. And, and in the wait, we got impatient. Impatient. And getting impatient, we try to figure this thing out for ourselves, where it's like, God, I don't see you moving. God, right now, the lines are long, and I got to get in line to go get my food for my house, for my kids. And for some of us, we can't even get in lines because we've lost our jobs, and, and different things are happening. And what God is saying, you have to trust my plan. Seek me and watch me do the work. Chase after me and trust my par- and trust my promise. And so this is what has happened. That's the story. And, and Paul is asking us to look at this in an allegor- allegorical sense. What he's saying is, watch this, the, 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 the slave woman and the free woman represent two kids. One kid is a slave born to a slave. One kid is born of the promise. The slave, when slaves are born from the master, they are to get the inheritance if they're close. But if they're not close, they don't get the inheritance. And so he's supposed to get part of the inheritance, even though he's a slave. He don't get the full benefits, but he gets some of it. But the one of promise gets everything else. He gets all of it. He's given the full promise. And so you look at it that way. And so this slave and free mentality that's going on is the flesh and the natural. You see, what happened was and what can happen is just like Abraham, God gives you a promise and you operate in your natural sense rather than the supernatural. See, what's natural for us is the flesh. What's natural for us is to to want to do these things for ourselves. What is natural for us is to take hold and be in control. That's what's natural. What's supernatural, what God has called us to do is to have faith. It's to trust him, to walk with him and allow him to lead the way, to lead the path. That's the supernatural sense. And so through this whole text, we see this natural, supernatural fight. Do I do what I want to do or do I do what God wants to do? Watch. This is what he says. Look at verse uh, 28. He breaks it down for us. He says, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. What is he saying? The first thing that he's telling us is that, hey, you have to know whose you are. Say that with me. Whose you are. Right. Whose you are dictates a lot of different things. Whose you are tells you who you are, how you should act, where you come from, what you can expect by knowing whose you are. If I know whose I am, I know that I serve a guy who would never leave me. I serve a guy who would never forsake me. See, this right here, he's trying to get us to understand whose we are. And he's trying to tell Isaac in this sense and try to paint the picture that Isaac is the son of promise. That he has an inheritance. God has that for you. And what's, what's important about this and what's real and revelant, uh, revelant, uh, real right now is that God is trying to get us to understand that through the, through the chaos, through the media and social media, through the mess ups and shortcomings and, and through our attractions to all these other things, God is saying, I want a relationship with you because you're mine. Amen. Raise your hand. Where you at? Raise your hand if you've ever been in a toxic relationship. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a relationship that sh- that was literally tearing you up inside. And for some of us, it may have been outside as well. Raise your hand. Put up your digital virtual hands or just say me if that's you, that you've ever been in a toxic relationship. A toxic relationship is a relationship where you're in relationship with um, something that is destroying you. And so for those of you who didn't raise your hand because you've been married for 30 plus years or you've only been with one person since high school, or you've never been in a toxic relationship. I need you to do me a favor because you have to hear this part because this is important. I need you to lean in. Lean in. Where you at? In your seat. Lean in just a little bit. Toxic relationships aren't limited to just relationships with people. I'll say that again. Toxic relationships aren't limited to relationships with just people. For some of us, we're in toxic relationships with food. For some of us, we're in toxic relationships with our job. For some of us, we're in toxic relationships with our money. Some of us, we're in toxic relationships with drugs and alcohol. Some of us, in toxic relationships with social media or porn or different things. We're in toxic relationships. A toxic relationship is a relationship with something that is literally tearing you up. Inside and out, mentally, spiritually, physically, it is tearing you up. Think about it with food. When you have a toxic relationship with food, what happens? In this relationship, you destroy the food, the the food in turn says, I got you too, and it destroys you. You've been in a toxic relationship with a person. The person is destroying you and you're allowing yourself to be destroyed and you come out lesser or you feel like lesser than a person. Toxic relationships with our jobs. For some of us right now, we've lost our jobs or our money right now is a little funny because of everything that's going on. And it's controlling how we interact with others. It's controlling our feelings. It's controlling us. Because of our relationship with it, There's so many different things you can have toxic relationships. I may not have said yours, but you know yours. A toxic relationship is that thing that you run to during the chaos. To escape. To find peace. For some of us, our jobs were that. And so right now, we're hurting at home. For some of us, it's TV. We've allowed ourselves to watch more TV because I find peace. I can leave the, the woes and worries of this world uh, and find peace in that. And so God wants us to understand you have to know first whose you are. Because if you are uh, Netflixes, if Netflix is who you identify yourself with, then you find your strength is limited. It's uncontrollable. And when you don't have it, you, don't, you feel like less a person. So whose are you is what he says. And why is that important? Because look at verse 29. He says this, but just as at that time, he won. Uh, he was born according to the flesh. He's talking about Ishmael. Uh, to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, as also it is now. So, what happened in this story uh, when Ishmael, when Isaac was born and he was weaned, the Bible tells us they had a big party, a big shindig, and while this party was going on, uh, Ishmael was mocking. He was making fun of Isaac, his little brother. Um, And so what he's trying to get us to understand the imagery here that he's trying to get us to understand is that there will be people that hate you because of whose you are. Remember, you're a child of promise. You're God's. And there's there are people around you who will hate you just because of whose you are. You are God's. And we have to walk in that, that there will be people doing all this that is going on who will hate you just because you're a child of God who will hate you just because you have peace during everyone else's panic, just because you're not running around chaotic, just because you're not worrying. People will hate you. You don't even have to do anything. And God is telling you that it's not your fault. Jesus said they hated me first. So, of course, they're going to hate you. It's okay to have haters. Haters tell me that I'm doing the right thing. Haters telling me that that people want what I have. And it is our job to share that one. And see, the the third thing he tells us is this. Verse 30, he says, But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And so when uh, Sarah saw that Ishmael was mocking her son, Isaac, she had them cast out. The allegory, the imagery that Paul wants us to understand is, first, you have to know whose you are. Second, you're going to have haters. And thirdly, out of that, you have to let certain people go. Too often, we are so tied to these toxic relationships, and it's just not people, but it's those things that are, uh, that are toxic to us. And so there are things in your life, people in your life, that you have to let go. And during a time like this, a time where you get the peace sometimes and quiet unless you have kids at home like us, you got to wait till they go to sleep, nothing much changed outside their home more. But during this time, you have to allow yourself to seek after God and not chase after those things that don't give you rest. Those things that hurt you and that are tearing you up inside. God is saying you have to let some things go because of who's you because of who's you are. Because of who's you are. And so he finishes with this. He says, so, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Y'all, we have to stop being slaves to things that are holding us down. And this is the first point. Paul warned against replacing freedom with slavery. Replacing the natural uh, with the supernatural. Or replacing the supernatural with the natural God. Paul is warning us to not go back to that. Don't go back to, to thinking that you have something better. God is good. Don't go back because He's not working on your time. Don't go back because it's, it's, it's getting... You're hurting right now and you're worried right now. And you're like, God, I don't see you moving. Trust God. Seek Him. He's yours. He wants you. He's daddy. He wants to take care of his kids. Amen? How y'all doing? Y'all okay? Good. So look at, uh, so, so he just finished painting this picture, uh, this imagery of Abraham and these two different covenants, this natural versus supernatural. And you see this throughout this whole thing. And now in chapter 5, verse 1, he's about to give us uh, what's next. He's about to give us the, the what to do part. The, ex, the, the explanation just came and now it's the application. Everybody say Application. You can you can yell that out for me. Uh, Application. You can type it if you want to. But look at this. Verse one. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, this this kind of threw me off. He said, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And I'll read it again so you can hear. He said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. But stand firm, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. Freedom isn't a license to sin, but the grace that we're free from sinning, right? The opportunity to not sin. You don't get a license to sin because of freedom. And the reason I, 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 I like this, but I also struggle with it because it's this idea of me being free, but me having to guard myself. Watch out. So for those of you who know me, one, you know, I like to move around a lot. So right now me stuck in your little square is hard for me but I'm doing it. So endure with me, right? But another thing you know about me is I'm like a jokester to heart. I like to scare people a lot. Uh, If I see you kind of with your back turned, I might just jump out. Uh, You know my love language is sarcasm. Uh, And so with uh, you you know all these things. And so another crazy fact about me, you're going to hear something all the time, is that uh, I like to tickle my family. And you're thinking, well, that's a good thing, right? No, I tickle for torture. (laughs) All right, I tickle for torture. And what does that mean? Well, when my kids, or more so J-4, my, my daughter don't do it yet. She hasn't got to that point. J-4, even my wife will be laying in bed watching TV and she's poking me and messing with me and elbowing me like a, just being annoying. I am like, please stop. Sierra, please stop. I'm telling her to stop. And what'll happen is when she doesn't stop, I'll just grab her arms and I'll start tickling her to the point to where it's uncomfortable, to the point to where she can no longer control her bladder. Uh, and it's funny to me. It's not funny to her. At first she's laughing, but she's screaming and she's laughing at the same time. I was like, you going to stop? She says, I, leave me alone. you going to stop? She doesn't say anything. So I keep going to the point to where she has to scream and yell. She can't protect herself. She can't do anything um, because, well, I'm controlling her. I have hold of her. And, and the picture that I'm trying to paint for you all is this. What, what, what Paul wants you to understand is that you're free you are free to laugh. You're free to enjoy. There are sins out there, there that you can say, oh, yeah, I want to do that. But God died God on the cross didn't give you freedom to do those things. It's the opposite. You have freedom, this scripture says, but you have to stand firm in your freedom because now you have a choice. When I tell my wife I'm about to tickle her, you know, the first thing she does, she starts trying to kick me. She starts trying to protect herself and blocking and stuff. When she doesn't know it's coming, she can't do nothing but take it. But now that she knows it's coming, now she's in a position to protect herself. Right? We're in a position to protect ourselves from the sin. So we don't get a license to sin. Now we got to throw off the sin because it's coming at us. And the enemy's going to keep throwing at you, trying to get you hooked. And that's why we get in those toxic relationships and those different things because the enemy is trying to throw. He's trying to displace you. He's trying to throw you off. He wants you. But we have the ability to combat that which is being thrown at us. All those darts, some of them will hit you, but I can protect myself. I stand firm. Standing firm doesn't mean you're going to not get hit. Standing firm means you protect yourself during the process. I'm not going to take it. I'm, I'm going to let go of the alcohol. I'm going to let go of the drugs. I'm going to let go of social media so much. I'm going to go towards God. I have to stand firm. This is what he's telling us. And here he goes. He said, well, now watch. This is what he tells He says, look. Verse two, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision and I know, I know, I'll pause right there just for a second. I know I get it. For these past eight weeks, it seems like circumcision comes up in every single text. Why is Paul talking about circumcision so much? Here's why. While it may be a minor, a minor surgery, it's a major picture. It's a major thing that is coming from it, because what you're saying is that Jesus came, he died. He rose. He ascended and he's coming back again. You're saying you believe in that. But what you're also saying is I have to do some work so that God can see me in a better light, in a newer light. I have to do some work to get approval. That's what the circumcision represents. So it's it's more than just the cut. Listen to what he says. He says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse three, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you choose circumcision, all 613 laws, you have to follow those. And if anything has been shown or taught to us that the law, we cannot keep. And we needed Christ to fulfill it. Look at this verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who have been justified by the law, and you have fallen away from grace. Verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. One of the things you have to understand, and we'll see this again. One of the things you have to understand, through the Spirit, not through Joseph, not through you, through the Spirit by faith. Y'all, we can't do it ourselves. And oftentimes we're trying to do it ourselves. Again, it's that workaround. Again, here comes that natural verse, supernatural. In the natural, I'm trying to work this out. I'm trying to do it through Joseph. Hey, I need some extra money. Just go get another job. God didn't tell me to get two jobs, but I want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, because in my way, in my mind, this is what's going to work. In my way, in my mind, she's the one for me. He's the one for me. And so I push it. This job is what's for me. In my mind, I push those those toxic things on myself. And God is saying, no, through the Spirit, you have to trust me. Verse 6, For in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It doesn't matter. But only faith working through love. You were running well. You were running well. You were running well. But what does it say? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Again, this is what he said in the first. You have to know whose you are. Why? You, you have to know you're going to have haters. But look, at the third part comes up again where he says there's certain people you have to let go. Why? Because they're hindering you. They're throwing you off track. They want to see you. Uh, those things are designed to sift you and throw you off course. Social media, news, all these things are designed to take your focus off Jesus Christ, to take your focus off God and what he's doing and the peace he can give you. Verse eight, this persuasion is not from him who calls you a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. Now watch this verse 10 through 12. And this is this is like the the meat of this part right here. He says, I have confidence in the Lord, not in you but in the Jesus in you, in the Holy Spirit that indwells in you, that lives in you. That's where my confidence is, that you will take no other view. The only way you cannot see uh, the outside, be affected by the outside sources, because what can happen is you have to be a slave to something. You have to be a slave to something. something. That'll make more sense later. But watch this. What happens is before Christ, we're slaves to sin, meaning that's all we know. That's what we're attached to here. But what he's saying is I have confidence in the Lord. This vertical relationship is what we need to work on. This vertical relationship is what we need to strengthen. This vertical relationship is what I have to operate in, because if I know whose I am, then I know who I am. And then that will dictate and and correlate with what I do. That will determine the way I move, the way I speak, how I react to things like. A coronavirus in this time of panic and chaos. I have peace and comfort in knowing God is still God. God still is in the taking care of business that he doesn't stop working just because of coronavirus. The coronavirus didn't surprise God. It surprised you. And that's why he wants us and he's calling us to lean into him. Look at this verse. Uh, continue that I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if our brother still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case the offense of the cross has been removed. Look at verse twelve. And this is a good one here. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. See what happened is they're they're teaching circumcision, and the way to go is circumcision, and the way to be saved and is circumcision. And they're teaching cir- circumcision, circumcision, all this circumcision. I know you're tired of that word. Uh, but what he's telling, telling them is this if you think circumcision is such a strong way, he said, just go all out. And that's the way to go. Then go all out. Emasculate yourself. Castrate yourself. And while for some they say, "Ah, oh, well, he's joking. There's another piece of that as well. During this time, there were uh, pagan uh, priests uh, called the Kodos Kibale, And what they would do is they would castrate, emasculate themselves because they believed it brought them closer to God, that their human achievements gave them more divine clout, so to speak. And what he's saying is that is not that doesn't make any sense. Your work, what you're doing won't get you into heaven. Again, it's that natural versus supernatural. The enemy is looking to sift you. And so the first the the second point is this. Paul warned against displacing freedom with slavery. Displacing, remember what we talked about, it's that force being forcibly removed by the enemy. The enemy is looking to take you out. And what happens is if you have only horizontal relationships, if your relationship comes with the world, then those are, that's the enemy looking to sift you. Those are those toxic relations that are looking to pull you out. That's where it happens. And those relationships that are designed to take you out, that's the things that are displacing you out of the will of God and what he's called you to out of the promise of God. That's why he's telling them, don't go back to that. Don't go back. He said, we need this verdict. Don't be displaced. You have the power and the ability to protect yourself, to guard, to combat the enemy as he's coming against you. Now, watch this. We're getting close. We're about to close. Look, Galatians chapter five, verse 13. Uh, For you were to freedom, brothers, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for flesh, but love serve one another. So freedom from sin doesn't give you freedom to sin. Freedom from sin doesn't give you freedom to sin. That's what he's saying. But this is for me another challenging, like combative oxymoron text when I first look at it, because he says I'm called to freedom. Right. But then at the end of that verse, he says, use your freedom to serve. So what you're telling me, Paul, is that I'm free to be a servant. How does that even that that doesn't even make sense to me right now. I'm free to be a servant. Yes, because remember, whose you are. Determines who you are, which will determine what you do. You get that right. Whose you are determines who you are, that determines what you do. And so God is saying you're free. Your freedom from sin isn't freedom to sin. Your freedom from sin gives you this freedom to serve, gives you some freedom to love. And during times like this, God is not calling us to to back ourselves in a wall, to put ourselves in a a cultural closet where we're we're eliminating ourselves from the world. We're removing ourselves from the world. God has called us to serve, to love one another. And then he explains, well, how did he call you to serve? He says it right here. So for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I get it. I get it. Love my neighbor as myself. I get it. Right now, I can't love on my neighbor. But I'm happy to say that right now, I'm loving on you from a distance. But I'm loving on you. And what can happen is we can forget where we came from. We can misplace what God is telling us because we forget whose we are. And we get lost in this sauce, so to speak, of I don't know what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go, how I'm supposed to react. God says, love my neighbor as myself. The first step to that is knowing how to love yourself. I get it. That's important. Now, while he's not, he's assuming you already know how to love yourself. But the first step is to know how to love yourself. Because I I don't know how to love others if I can't love myself. I can't love on others if I can't love myself. God says, first love yourself. And the only way to understand how to love yourself is understand whose you are. Your God's. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are perfect for him, and he wants to use you to love on everyone else. So, yes, you are free to serve. And as crazy as that sounds, that's what our God has called us to. There's joy in that. There's peace in that. There's comfort in knowing that while everyone else is running around, that we have peace and we can help. We can give people and we can show people a place of peace with God. He finishes with this, because this is what happens when you get misplaced. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consuming, that you are not consumed by one another. This reminded me of a a story of J4. Uh, My son, when he was younger, he was about two years old. He was a biter. I don't know how many of you have biting kids. And the only thing, the crazy thing is he didn't go to school biting. He came home biting. Like he didn't bite other kids and things like that. He he and it wasn't even out of anger, like my son would run up to me to give me a hug and bite me on my leg. Like he that's how he showed happiness. And it's crazy. But that was what was natural for him to do at that time until he learned about the supernatural piece of you don't bite. And a lot of us are doing that with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Even right now, we we're hoarding and we're not loving on them. That's consuming one another. And that piece when you're not serving and you're not loving your neighbor. You're consuming them. It's not a physical arguing. It's not a physical fighting. You're operating in the flesh, in the natural with what, what, what you want to do. And God says, I have something supernatural for you to do. You have to understand my promise. You have to understand who you are because you can't act or react. how I've called you to react to the things of this world if you're of the world. When you become of me, you react like I will react. You love how I've called you to love. You do the things that I've called you to do. And that's what he's called us to. And so you look at this. Paul warned against misplacing your freedom with slavery. He warned us against that, that you can get lost in everything that's going on around you, that you forget whose you are. And when you forget whose you are, you don't know who you are yourself. And then you try to do what everybody else is doing. Whether well, they're going to do this, I got to do this. If they're going to hoard, I got to hoard. If they're not going to help, I'm not going to help. And that's not what we're called to do, people of God. So my question for you is this. Whose are you? Whose are you? For some of us, we're in toxic relationships. Uh, and we're a slave to something. And God says, I want you back. There are things, there are entities around this world that are looking to cut you off. You're allowing the outside to feed into you more than God, the Holy Spirit. And he says we have to cut that off. Because whose you are determines who you are. And so whatever you're holding on to, that's who you are. That's your identity. And you know, one of the questions I asked myself over this past week, like, well, how do I determine my identity? How do I determine whose I am? During times of chaos, we find that uh, we run to the things that give us peace. We run to the very things that uh, we feel give us comfort. And so if you're wondering whose you are, if you're wondering if you're God's or not, or you want to know what it is that is causing you to be more anxious during this time, what are you running to? That'll tell you whose you are. What are you holding on to? Where do you go to find your peace of mind? What do you do to to seek peace? Do you dive and delve into the word or do you allow yourself to be comforted by by God? And knowing that Jesus came, he died, he rose, he ascended and he's coming back again and that there's no amount of work that you can do. There is no more work that you can do to get into heaven. Christ did it all on the cross already. He's already done it. And because he did it, and because you accepted him, there is no work you can do. And so what he wants you to do is understand that. You don't have a license to sin. If anything, you no longer are bound to sin. Now you have the peace, the strength, the firm, the stand firmness to be able to say, you know what? I see you, enemy. Boop, get out of my way. Nope, no. No, don't throw that at me. And you're able to block off the panic and the chaos and the, the things that are going on around you. You're able to block. You're able to protect yourself. And I love that God has not, God has given me the strength, but it's not even my strength I'm operating in. It's the Holy Spirit. But God has that, the Holy Spirit in me. And I love that I'm not fighting it off. I can't do it by myself. And I know that now. And God, I trust you for that. And so at this time, what we want to do, we want to move into a time of confession. So Because for some of us, we're, We're clenching on to toxic things right now that are causing us to be frustrated and weighed down so much so. And so we'll move to a time of prayer and confession. I'm going to pray, but I want you to pray right where you are. If that means get on your knees, get on your knees. If that means stand up and hold your hands up to cry out to God, stand up and and cry out to God and thank God for what he did, what he did by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. Ask for repentance as we prepare our hearts and minds to take a meal. Father God, we love you. God, we're yours. We love you and we trust you because you've always been there. You've always shown up. There's no amount of work, God, we can do to get into heaven. You did it. And I am grateful that God doesn't see me. He sees you. He sees what you did. So, God, as we move forward, God, I pray that we're able to truly confess our sins, our mess-ups, our shortcomings, our thoughts, God. That we can lean into you for peace, for understanding, for wisdom, for comfort, for joy. In a time when the world, literally the world, is hurting, God. I pray that you would draw us together even more so that the people of God understand that that we have to share you even more. We have to be the light even more through times like this. God, people are looking, people are searching for more. People want more, God. That void they're looking to fill because of a lost job or or money or worry or frustration, God, that void is you. So, God, I pray that we seek after you. God, we love you. God, we thank you for this opportunity to draw closer to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.